Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Everybody, it's survey time. Please, if you want to help out last podcast on the left to see what kind of advertisers we should bring to you, go to podsurvey.com slash L-A-S-T and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. Even if you've taken our show's podcast listener survey before, the current one is new and different. So... We'd love for you to take it again. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash L-A-S-T. Thank you for your help, everybody. Now enjoy the episode. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Be um, nice to nerds. Um, Shinrikyo. Basically, the whole Manson thing. Well, no, they weren't. I guess they were nerds. No, Man, no they were horny and fun. That yeah, was they a were. cool group of people. Yeah, they were. Cool. Yeah, but Heaven's um, Gate, also nerds. Nerds, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally But you do understand, the, the more you say that you don't like the charm of L. Ron Hubbard, the more you sound like, oh, I can't stand the look of that Bruce Willis at the beginning of Moonlighting. <laughs> what do you mean? It sounds like he repulses you so much that it's sort of like he's pushing against the boundaries of what you find attractive. And no. maybe in the end, he's got what it takes. I'm just saying he's not charismatic. <laughs> All right, we're good to go. We're good to go. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, Marcus Parks. I'm staring at that beautiful face right now. How are the teeth? Teeth are good. Okay, absolutely wonderful. And then we got Henry Zabrowski as well. Um, Half How's- a thumb lighter. <laughs> <laughs> Henry sent us uh, a... You sent us a picture of your thumb yesterday, and it looks like an enchilada, an enchilada just covered in mole sauce. Yes. Well, because the problem was is that I chopped the whole top of it off, right? Oof. And so the blood just kept coming and coming and coming, and the doctor had to cauterize it, which is just burning it closed. And I'm not a brave man. I don't believe it. When I have cancer, the eventuality of me getting cancer, once I have cancer, I'm going to be one of those going like, kill me! Just fucking kill me! Uh, um, all right. So it was rough. But yeah, it got yes. covered in hardened blood, which is the reason why it was hurting so much because it was like all – I didn't realize when I took off my big little my, – my, my thumb sock mm-hmm. that the blood had gotten all the way around the knuckle and it made a hard little net like an evil little Spider-Man was inside of my bandage. I would have mm-hmm. loved to see you during the Civil War era. Just, you know, like, <laughs> I can't go into battle today. Wouldn't you believe it? I was cutting garlic. Well, the, for those of you who don't know, the reason why we haven't had an episode in about a week and a half is because I first had to get a tooth yanked out because yes. I had a big abscess, and then Henry cut off half of his thumb while chopping garlic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So what's going to happen to me? Who knows? <laughs> a kidney I think stone the blood clots are going to travel up to your brain. Yeah, maybe. That's death. That is. So I don't want to wish that. All right. Um, well, today's- But also, yes. while well, I'm in the middle of doing this, I'm reading Dianetics- Right? Mm-hmm. And so Dianetics is supposed to fix you physically. Right. I'm going through it. Nothing's working. Oh, I can't believe it. Today's episode, 
absolutely thrilled to finally get to the subject of L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, people have been asking for this one for years, and we're finally going to tackle it. Uh, Of course, L. Ron Hubbard is the creator of Scientology. Full name, Lafayette Ronald Hubbard. I think he made a smart decision going with the L. Ron. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, as we'll get into later, L. Ron is much more scientific. Sounds like a robot. That's true. Uh, But Scientology is without a doubt the most successful and insidious cult of the 20th century, L. Ron Hubbard was described by one of his most ardent followers who got wise to the scheme later on as, quote, a mixture of Adolf Hitler, Hmm. Charlie Chaplin, and Baron Munchausen. Ooh, I'd like to see that Mount Rushmore. (laughs) A strange combo. Honestly, if my name was Lafayette, I would have went as Laffy. Oh, that's nice. Actually, uh, L. Ron Hubbard's grandfather sometimes went as Laffy. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't like it. Because he was named after his grandfather, Lafayette. I am so excited to dive into this man. I watched a lot of videos on YouTube, and I, I don't see the charm. Yeah. But we will get to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. sounds like you're about to fall in love. I don't <laughs> know. Sounds like, you sound like Princess Jasmine, and you're talking about Aladdin. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, in this series, we will explore the life and lies of L. Ron Hubbard and follow the story of one of the, frankly, most impressive con men of all time. For as they say in Go and clear the fantastic HBO documentary to understand Scientology, you've got to understand L. Ron Hubbard. Mm. Because the whole thing is an extension of his mind. Once you get to the very bottom of who L. Ron Hubbard actually is as a human being, you start to see that he just wanted to create millions of little hymns and then eventually a gigantic country filled with little hymns. And guess what? They've all got disgusting teeth. (laughs) I mean, it's every it's every man's fantasy, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose so. Now, the primary text for this episode is the book Barefaced Messiah by Russell Miller, which seems to be the definitive, actually true biography on L. Ron Hubbard. Definitely recommended reading. It's a huge, it's really thick, it's really huge, uh, and we can't cover everything in there. So if you're interested in this episode, that's a really expansive look at L. Ron Hubbard's life. Also, I got to say, if, the entire, if there was an entire nation that was L. Ron Hubbard, the toilet paper shortage would be through the roof. He looks like a guy who who, who uses a lot of the TP. So I was thinking, instead of just getting the super soft TP for the PCs, instead what we could do is have one big block of just kind of a square of cotton that I can rub myself on. Attach it to a stump onto a little boy. <laughs> Horrifying, Elrun. Horrifying. Uh, <laughs> now, the legend goes that Elron Hubbard started Scientology on a bet with sci-fi author Robert Heinlein when Ron claimed he could make a religion out of science. Hmm. It's a good story, but... It never happened. The truth about the origins of Scientology is much more fascinating and much more complicated than that. Hmm. Also, we're going to find out, too, as I was researching, not only did he not just say it just one time that religion is how you make money. He said it at least four or five times the entire way of growing up before creating the first version of Dianetics. This has been on his mind since the very beginning. He's always been obsessed with money and power. He was very frank about it to his insiders because in the end he said it all, you know, the end justifies the means that once I become super powerful, then I can help the whole universe. Well, and I'm sure we'll get into this 
this, but what stopped him from just going the route of a Joel Osteen and just be just attaching himself to a religion that already exists? Because certainly that's a billion dollar industry in itself. I mean, that really to answer that question, we got to get into his Let's life, you know, because this is a man who really used what tools he was given. And he was also a master at making it up as he went along. Mm-hmm. He was a master at just following the road that was laid in front of him. Now, Which is what all cult leaders do best. Yeah. They're all like fucking jazz men. You know, like, <laughs> so when the when the drummer goes, you got you got to be able to make sure you go because if not, you get killed by the drummer. Yeah, kind of reminds me of the Children of God cult, of course. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, every cult, right? Yeah, every cult. Now, the first thing you've got to know about Lafayette is that he's a fantastic liar and an even better story storyteller. And in fact, he told so many lies over the course of his life that we cannot cover them all. His lies about just his own life, not even counting Scientology, could be an entire episode mm. just in itself. Now, the ironic thing, though, is that Hubbard's life was actually fairly interesting, even without the embellishment. It just wasn't Messiah-level interesting. At most, like, the best reaction he could hope to get after telling it would just be, cool! <laughs> now, I mean, doesn't that, does that stem from an insecurity in your own reality? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the whole idea is that you see um, he had a, a very intense superiority complex since he was a little kid. He started lying to himself within his journals. He would write about adventures and shit that he was doing the, the, to lying to himself right. from a very early age, which is actually a weird primitive form of chaos magic, which we'll get into later on as well. Uh, and it's it's but it's very he he couldn't stay he believed he was better than the life he was born into immediately but he would also be practicing for pretty much charismatic cult leader status because while he would be creating these ventures about himself he would always be referring to himself in like this self-effacing manner so like buffalo bill looked in the mirror with his penis tucked and was like oh fuck me would you fuck me and he was just like i'll follow me would you follow me (laughs) yeah pretty much yeah absolutely but the thing is about l ron hubbard from a young age he could not separate the stories he wrote from the stories he told about his own life and if you ever called him out on it you get some of that red-haired temper that Hubbard was famous for. Like I'm famous for, too. Uh, Henry, you're gushing blood out of your thumb right now. I'm mad about it. Now, before Hubbard wrote Dianetics, which is the book on which the entirety of Scientology is built on, he was one of the most well-known science fiction authors in all of America. He got his start in the pulp magazines, writing everything from pirate stories to detective tales to westerns with vaguely homoerotic titles like Six-Gun Caballero, (laughs) Rodham Cowboy... And uh. hot lead payoff. Hey, Barb, leave me alone. I'm reading hot lead payoff. You know I like my westerns, Barb. <laughs> leave me alone. Um, Barry, just for a second, could you put some pants on? Maybe conceal the erection. The mayor's <laughs> coming over for an inspection of the backyard. Well, Barb, if you want another child, sit on it really quick. It's, oh, this is my favorite page. Sit on it really quick. <laughs> and all that is in addition to his first novel, Buckskin Brigades. <laughs> Now, <laughs> what's interesting, too, is that during this time period, so he got married really fast. He had, a, like, a fun little childhood, but he was also traveling back and forth from New York and uh, where the sci-fi community was back home to California to his wife and disappearing more and more, just hanging out with these nerds. But he 
was lying about how much money he had. He would go to New York, tell them all these stories about how successful his books and his stories have become. Meanwhile, he had he would go to homeless shelters and pose as a homeless person getting free soup because that's all he could eat. And so they said when he stole when he sold Buckskin Brigades, they owed so much money to the grocers that they had cut them completely off. And so finally he had all of this money. He was supposed to come home. They could finally get out of debt to all the various weird local businesses that gave him a tab for some reason. And then he, he shows up. His wife was immediately like oh it's amazing let's go pay them now and he's like i'm I'm sorry to tell you honey i bought a boat and he literally (laughs) bought a boat that they did nothing with it just sat in the front yard well like david crosby (laughs) (laughs) eventually elrond would move on to science fiction and in 1937 ron began work on a book called excalibur which 12 years later would become dianetics and excalibur was described as quote a summation of a life based on his analysis of the state of mankind. And came from Ron's quote, Discovery that the primary law of life was to survive. <laughs> like, how do I survive with horizontal teeth? <laughs> oh. I have teeth like little parallelograms. I have to eat nothing but hot soup. <laughs> Homeless hot soup, it sounds like. Oh, there was another trick that he did with the hot soup. He met up with this writer, uh, and the writer was like, here's how you get free tomato soup. You go down to the automat, you get a free yeah. bowl of hot water, and then you take that nickel you were going to put into the machine to get this powder for the mm-hmm. tomato soup, you put that nickel in your pocket. Then you go over to the table, you go over to the free ketchup on the table, dump half of that ketchup bottle into the uh, bowl of hot water, you stir it up, presto, free soup. Tomato soup. Wait, Wait a second. What was your name again? A young Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Lovely to meet you. Why is it the people who have life all figured out live like an 1820s hobo? They're just like, no, we got to figure it out. If you lower your life standards, we have it because all figured out. At your lowest standards, life is really easy to it, figure out yeah. because all you got to figure out is how to turn hot water into tomato soup. Ketch- it sounds like ketchup soup, which it's is the just, whole other thing. It's just a half bottle of ketchup in a bowl of hot water. <laughs> I think I had that in college a couple of times, actually. Now, about Excalibur, the book that would become Dianetics, it was said that the first six people to read the manuscript were so overwhelmed by the content that they were all driven insane with knowledge, with one person throwing the manuscript across the room before jumping out a window. Damn. (laughs) That's what what I'll say. What ages are we talking about for Elrond here? Uh, This is, what is it, like mid-30s, I think? Like early to mid-30s, somewhere around there. About around our age, actually. I I will say this. When I read uh, Fifty Shades of Grey for the first time, I shoved a spatula up my ass. But that (laughs) was just because I was looking for a thrill. I was bored and lonely in Toronto. (laughs) Fifty Shades of Grey for the first time. How many times have you read it? <laughs> good, good catch, Ben. If you put a number in the title of a book, <laughs> that's like a bet to me. How many times can I read it? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, also, so h- later on, his personal assistant, Jerry Armstrong, that would be like one of the first big defectors away from Scientology, said that – so all manuscripts of Excalibur, which was debated whether or not even existed, uh, there was two – uh, and he, they're all handwritten by L. Ron Hubbard because that's how he wrote everything. Uh, and Jerry Armstrong like read it. It was the interview with him, and he's like, "I read Excalibur, and uh, I didn't go insane. <laughs> totally normal. <laughs> Isn't that how uh, the Hudsucker proxy ended? 
Didn't well, he read a book and jump out the window? <laughs> oh, it's the beginning. I think oh, it's the, the beginning? beginning. Okay, well, I'm happy I didn't ruin anything for anybody. But, you know, for L. Ron Hubbard, for his writing to have such extraordinary power, for it to have the power to literally drive men insane because it was too good, hmm. Ron himself needed to have led an extraordinary life, bordering on godlike. People had to believe he had the experience necessary to hold such power, and lo, a mountain of bullshit was built. Hmm. Even the even just calling it a mountain of bullshit is not enough. <laughs> You're at literally the beginning of a trillion year map of galaxies of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> now, according to official Scientology biographies, Ronald was born in 1911 and grew up with his rich grandfather on a ranch in Montana that was so big it took up nearly a quarter of the state. And when he was six years old, he had an encounter with a Blackfoot Indian medicine man named Old Tom, who recognized him as a child while beyond his years, made him an official blood brother of the tribe, quote, in a ceremony still recalled in Blackfoot legend. Thank you. <laughs> tell me. Tell me now. Are you guys the Dancing with Sheets Indians or the other Dancing with Sheet Indians? I'm having fun, guys. Wise beyond my years. <laughs> oh, no. That's like a strange tale to make up. Boy. <laughs> You know, Ron, Such big team. Well, I mean, out of all, this is all BS, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he just made up that he owned a quarter of a state that's basically uninhabited. Well, he grew up yes. on a ranch uh, that see. was as big as a quarter of the state. His grandfather owned it, okay. but that was necessary for later life. See, it's one thing built on another, built on another. See, Ron spent his days breaking broncos and tending to the land, becoming a seasoned cowboy before the age of ten. While working for his wealthy grandfather, who is also, by the way, a famous sea captain. Oh. Of course, but that's why he's not around. Which seems like that is like the orphanage story constantly being like, Nah, my daddy left me here because he's a famous sea captain. That's why I got to get good at washing floors <laughs> so I can get on the big, his big old shiny ship as soon as he comes back any day now. <coughs> <laughs> He sounds like a kind of a lemony snicket character. Yeah, I mean it's just sure. making shit up. Sure hope it's any day now. <laughs> <laughs> Everything will be fine. Now, after his childhood ranching career, Ron rejoined his parents and soon after his father enlisted in the Navy. And on a boat trip from the West Coast to Washington, D.C., Ronald befriended a U.S. Navy Medical Corps psychoanalyst named Commander Joseph Snake Thompson. Uh, you know, something about meeting a psychoanalyst named Snake alone on a train <laughs> right. with a young boy and him. No, alone He's on the- a boat. On a boat. Like, Why yeah, they- which is even worse because it's the always sunny thing where it's about like you take a woman out on a boat and it's about the the, the, uh, the implication. Implications, yeah. yeah. And Snake can be a really cool nickname if he's like a G.I. Joe or an undercover agent, but if he just has a really long tongue and strange eyes. He was called Snake because he really liked snakes. Oh, that's sure. A- <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just call him Heating Lamp then. I mean, it would, no, who cares? That's not a reason to get nicknamed. Just call him Joe. Just call yeah. him Joe. That got my, my buddy Joe who likes snakes. Don't get, you don't get the nickname Snake because you like snakes? <laughs> no, Snake had been a personal student of Sigmund Freud, or so L. Ron Hubbard said, and taught Ron all about the mysteries of the mind on that magical trip through the Panama Canal. And when oh, the yeah. <laughs> That's kind of Freudian. He called him Snake as well. Yes, as opposed to, like, yeah. as opposed to also, oysters or something. Snake and a boy traveling 
traveling through a big old canal. Huh? <laughs> Interesting. And when the family arrived in Washington, D.C., Ron stayed friends with Snake, who, in Ron's word, took the opportunity to, quote, shove my nose into books at the Library of Congress and then do something weird with my ass. <laughs> Did it make you feel weird, Ron? It made me feel, what's the word? Complete? <laughs> It's a disturbing voice, to say the least. (laughs) And highly accurate. I know. It's completely. That's why I said I don't see the charm in this guy. Dan, you're falling in love with him. Every second we go, you're uh, falling in love with him. I'm falling in love with your impression of him. Now, around this time, Elrond also managed to become the youngest Eagle Scout to ever exist. His father was then transferred to Guam, and this is where Ron began his, quote, Travels in the Orient. Yeah, covered in orange sauce. Isn't it funny to say? (laughs) It sounds like the imagination of the old man from the movie Up. Yeah. This is literally just going to find the, uh, the, the the golden peacock or whatever the heck they were looking for in that movie. Well, this is why it was necessary for him to have a rich grandfather on a ranch in yes, Montana because his rich grandfather funded his travels in the Orient. I see. Because it was still necessary for him to have somewhat of a working class background. His father was just a simple Navy shipman, but his grandfather mm. was the benevolent family member who funded the travels in the Orient. So he had it both ways. Right. He so we can have the mixture of the two. He can connect so he has with understanding anyone. of the common man and right. then understanding of the truly wise. And so he can put them together. He's and like Barack the truly, Obama. And the truly wealthy. Because yes. then if he had that, you know, oh, yes, my grandfather was also very rich. He has that blue blood connection, which enables him to snake a lot of fucking money out of those people. Now, in China, Elrond said he met an old magician and he met a Hindu who could hypnotize cats. And in Tibet, he lived with bandits and made friends with the warlords of Manchuria by demonstrating impressive horsemanship. And I'll tell you this, as a chubby redheaded man, there's nothing any foreign people likes to meet more in the wilderness than a lost, chubby, redheaded little boy (laughs) who thinks he's very smart. I said they make nothing but friends. (laughs) Elrond also said he slept with primitive tribes and learned the language of the Igoroti people in just one night by lantern light. And all of this supposedly happened before Hubbard had reached high school. Now, the thing is about that huge chunk of bullshit, there is some truth to every single one of those stories. Yeah, like like little threads, a tiny little beginning eggs of truth. Little tiny things. Mm. See, Hubbard was a master of embellishment and even better at making people want to believe his stories. Because why yeah. else would this nice, charismatic man lie about such things? Right. And I mean, For money and power. But why? <laughs> money and power. But why? Why? Well, I mean, I guess it is more fun to believe him, right? Than it's not so much him. more fun to believe him. You know, all of this shit. It's so much more fun because he makes you feel special. And if you feel special, it is because this special man is making you feel special. So the right. better, the bigger of a character L. Ron Hubbard is, the more of a character you are. Also, are you going to sign your whole life over to Toby from Burger King, who runs the Fry Later? <laughs> or are you going to sell your life to the man who's been all over the world and knows all types of girls? Do I get free fries? 
From Toby? Either way. Either way. You <laughs> oh, I do? Work. Okay. Well, then I'll go with Elrond. <laughs> now, in reality, Hubbard's childhood was a little unorthodox, but nothing particularly special. Compared to what a lot of cult leaders went, we cover went through, Hubbard's childhood was fantastically easy. He was well-loved and completely overindulged by his entire family, particularly his grandparents and his aunts. Uh, by the way, that uh, wealthy grandfather that owned an entire ranch, veterinarian. Oh, so yeah, Just literally the sweetest people so on the sweet. face of the planet. And it, I'm sure at some point he saved a snake. <laughs> so it's all coming together. Yeah, when Elrond's mother washed his mouth out with soap one day, his aunts retaliated by holding Ron's mother down and washing her mouth out with soap because how oh. dare she? How dare it, she do anything to little Ronald? My mother used to wash my mouth out with soap, but I just decided I'd love it. And then they stopped doing it. <laughs> Chaos magic. That's right. <laughs> Chaos magic flipped it on her. Um, What if Snake was just his penis with a little face drawn on it? <laughs> You'll teach me everything I need to know, won't you? Stand up and be proud. Now, Sit down. <laughs> like a little solitary confinement puppet. That's sad. <laughs> now, all of this stuff, compared to Charles Manson getting raped by older boys in juvie, or David mm. Berg sleeping in the same bed as his mother and wanting to fuck her the entire time, all this is pretty tame stuff. Yeah. What? That's crazy. <laughs> I thought it's pretty normal to always be sleeping in the same bed as your mom and always talking about wanting to grip on her breasts and suck on her breasts. Didn't, didn't Holden McNeely make an entire comedic persona about that for a number of years? He's changed. He has changed. Now he's transferred it from his mother over to his fiancée. Which is, oh, that's uh, right. Uh, yes. That's congratulations, Holden. That, yes. Indeed. Now, Hubbard, like I said, his grandfather was a rancher, small-town vet, and the Blackfeet, they don't even have a blood brother ceremony. Of course not. They're not going to fucking get this little fat redheaded kid in there anyway. He must have been so allergic to leather. Put him up on a horse. Because we look pretty similar. Like if you look at me and him, especially his back in the day, he was exactly that. Like a round little like weird beady eyed redhead boy like I was. A robot. Yeah. It was just like, more. I need more. They keep spooning porridge into his mouth. No, kind of like a Bobby Hill type character. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Now, Hubbard was an Eagle Scout, but it's impossible to know if he was the youngest because at the time the Boy Scouts didn't record ages. It was So he was like 12, 13, but I think that's normal for Eagle Scouts, right? Yeah, it's pretty. I think like Eagle Scouts, usually it's like 12 to 14, somewhere around there. That is just such a stupid lie because no one's going to be like, oh, you were the youngest Eagle Scout. Now I must follow you. Who cares about the age of the Eagle Scouts? Well, that lie started when he was around a teenager because when he was a teenager, uh, since he was actually traveling around, so much, uh, he would come back to like Helena, Montana, and they would write these stories about him. They'd write news stories about him. So he started planting the lies there because the only record of him being the youngest Eagle Scout, and this is like in a Scientology museum, is a newspaper clipping from the Helena, Montana newspaper that said Elron Hubbard is the youngest Eagle Scout in history. So his parents would just submit this to the papers or something? Uh, they no, would, they no, would seek absolutely him out. not. Absolutely he, not. This is Helena, Montana. There was nothing happening. The right. fact that this little kid, because he did, because he traveled with his parents, they were Navy people, so they traveled and they'd come back, and so it was this immediate, like, fascinating thing that this little kid from Montana went to China, but then he immediately understood the idea of PR, yeah. sort of like what we're seeing now with, with with Trump and shit like that. The idea is that you weave, you say a lie, right, and then you dare people to 
figure out if it's wrong or right. Like they have yeah. to then be like, fuck this little kid. I don't trust him. I now have to go research and fucking debunk him as right. fast as humanly possible. We talked about the internet that, wasn't around yet. We talked about that on top at the onus is on you to decide what's real. Exactly. And you said there was nothing that happened in Helena, Montana, Henry, but I heard they had the youngest Eagle Scout. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, sorry. I actually do know for a fact that was a true story. <laughs> now Elron did travel on a boat through the Panama Canal with his parents, but there's no record whatsoever of a Commander Joseph Snake Thompson serving in the Navy, nor is there record of him ever studying under Freud. We do have a janitor here that he called himself the the Lewd Gecko. <laughs> what? But, uh, what did he do? Well, apparently he'd make his... This is, this is inappropriate. Do you care if I share it with the family? I, I, I guess it's okay. I... Apparently he'd cover his hand so thick with a coating of cum that he could stick to the walls just by touching it with his hands. Well, I'm Stan Lee, and I have a new idea for a superhero. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll be going now. Yeah, Hubbard did do some light traveling through the Orient when his father was stationed in Guam, but his personal journal tells a different story other than warlords and magicians. He hated the Chinese, saying, quote, they smell of all the baths they didn't take. What it is a funny it. joke. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's inappropriate. It reminds me of the of the old dirty joke books that my father would leave on the bathroom uh, <laughs> yeah. at the top of the toilet that I would read that kind of turned me into the human being that I've become. Yeah, there was a time where parents were like, let our kids really study Milton Berle. That's a good idea. The man who smokes nothing but cigars and says racial slurs. <laughs> The only thing Hubbard was impressed by in China was the Great Wall, saying they would make a million dollars if only they would turn it into, quote, a roller coaster. <laughs> just, turn it, just turn it into a roller coaster and it'd be totally fine. What that that makes a million dollars. There ain't nothing else going on in China but that big Great Wall. We just put a roller coaster on and they make a lot of money. His idea was to turn the Great Wall of China into a roller coaster ride. Yes. Exactly. Perfect America. This is a man he who knew exactly how to make money. How would it? Okay, we'll we'll get to this. Think about this, right? Number one, you're 13 years old visiting China. It's a it's a huge event in your life. You come from Montana. You don't know anything about like traveling in foreign lands. You're you're on these big huge boats. He's completely unimpressed by all of it. He, he, he comes it. He's the worst kid I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, literally, like, Mommy, they stink. Why don't they make that a roller coaster? I mean, <laughs> exactly. is, why are there chickens hanging in the windows? What's this, but Mommy? What's really important is that he's already thinking of money. Yeah. Like, as soon as he went, it's like, I know it's, like, ridiculous, but if you look at it, when they talk about the journal and you talk about the ways, he would talk about how they could improve their country at the age of 13 years old, where he said to me, like, well, I can go in there and I can fix all these things. I have tremendous ideas. I have absolutely fantastic ideas that <laughs> right. really can fix this country. And it's it's incredible. Like You watch, it's like, oh, wow, he's always been the L. Ron Hubbard that he became. Hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing is that he, the entire time he was doing these trips, he was writing. It's just page after page after page, constantly writing in his journal. And after Guam, Hubbard went back to Montana where he tried to get appointed editor-in-chief of the school newspaper, which was called The Nugget. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my, uh, my sister's, my older sister's first husband had a whole stack of magazines called Nugget, but it was trucker porn. Oh, is that right? 
I thought yeah. it, Owen Hart. It was a nickname for a former pro wrestler, Owen Hart, as well. The That's, Nugget. Yeah, the, de- derogatory towards him. <laughs> uh, uh, but L. Ron Hubbard, as a newcomer, he was not made editor in chief. He oh. was instead made jokes editor, a position he had to share with a girl named Ellen Galusha. Oh I would have turned that around. If you had made me jokes editor, I would have put Helena Helena Montana on the fucking map. Absolutely. But, I mean, there is no denying he was actually motivated. He Extreme. did write a lot. Um, so he was talented to some degree. He was an am- Absolutely. He was amazingly talented. Like, I've at what he at now. what he did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the temperature in my little pot's starting to get a little hotter. This little frog's about to boil. Hubbard uh, soon disappeared from Helena, saying he had to leave town because he beat a guy half to death for throwing a baseball at his head. But hmm. other people say that Hubbard was running away because he had been expelled for, quote, putting his butt in a waste paper basket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. Now I remember me and my friend Jared did that. Uh, yeah. I, I used to roll him around in the recycling bin. Of course. On a regular basis. Man, you're right, Henry. I am learning to love. This is what I'm telling I you, I am going to change. only reeling you in. Wow. He's reeling you in bit by bit. Now, in 1931, Hubbard directed what he called the Caribbean Motion Picture Expedition, which was supposed to be a seafaring trip in which he would explore and film pirate strongholds of the Spanish main. And then it started with a big fantastic pitch. And then he's like, but we'll also get scientific little bits. Like we'll travel on a thing. We'll collect plants and rocks. And it's this whole, it was, it was all a validation in order to get all of his kids and friends on a boat. And they would, they would roll down to the Caribbean, which sounds like a great idea. It does. Yeah. I mean that what they were going to do, they were going to get like 50, like they were going to rent like a big schooner. Uh, they were going to get like 50 kids together, which that's also a testament to how he could get people together. He got it together in like a week. Yeah. Uh, this guy, he could motivate people. He could get them gathered, and he could get them to give him money. Uh, and but- apparently, they also they said that even as a, at this age in high school, Ron was never not surrounded by groups of people. Yeah. Wherever yeah. he went, he was surrounded by people because he just knew how to bullshit. Like he could just he keeps people engaged. Well, do yeah. you want to be around the editor who smells like yogurt? Uh, of the nugget, or do you want to be around the jokes, editor? You want to be around the jokes, the fun. Exactly. He's the Jimmy Fallon. That's the Jimmy Fallon of the nugget. Exactly. Now, the Caribbean motion picture expedition did indeed happen, but it was a catastrophic failure. The man who Ron chartered the boat from, Captain Fred Garfield, described it as, quote, the worst trip I ever made. Uh, sir, you don't have a leg and you're missing an eye. How is this the worst trip you ever made? Children. <laughs> That'll do it. No, it's they- like the movie Hook, except none of the kids were as attractive as in the movie Hook. <laughs> I don't know if we watched that movie for the same reason. Yeah, they didn't film a single thing. They never made it to the Spanish main. They barely made it off the American coast, and they spent the entire time arguing about money. But, of course, when L. Ron Hubbard talked about the Caribbean motion picture expedition later, they went to the Spanish main. He did a full mineralogical survey of Puerto Rico. They had done dozens of surveys for gold all across the Caribbean. But, of course, it was all bullshit. In 1933, Hubbard met his first wife, Polly Grubb. Yeah, the old grub. The old grub no, Hubbard, Hubbard wedding. <laughs> that is that Taking is the lasso stand. Now, old 
Grub. <laughs> Grub Hubbard sounds like a villain with just like, I don't have fingers, but I got strong nubs. Like Grub Hubbard, the nub killer. Grub Hubbard sounds like a food app on your phone that you could, you, when the, the delivery comes, it's just food tied to the back of a dog. Yeah. It somehow has to get to your house. Order Grub Hubbard. All we got is ketchup packets and mayonnaise jars. <laughs> Come on down to Grub Hubbard. <laughs> We got condiments and uneasy ways for you to eat them. Yeah, and they are expensive. <laughs> Today's episode of Last Podcast on the Left is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Go to AdamandEve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive, you know you, what you're going to get. You're going to get three free adult DVDs. You're going to get a free mystery gift. Top all that off. You get free shipping on your entire order. That's adamandeve.com. Use code LEFT at checkout. That's LEFT at adamandeve.com. Use code LEFT at adamandeve.com. Now, by this time, Hubbard had started his writing career, having sold three articles to the Sportsman Pilot magazine and one to the Washington Star called Navy Pets. <laughs> I like that. Navy Pets are fun. <laughs> I mean, that's fun. If he would have just kept writing articles about pets, like oh little dogs on boats, it would have been great. I'm just a pug on a boat trying to get a bone. <laughs> Versus the horrible Nazi cats of the U-boats. <laughs> <laughs> Full steam ahead, young mittens. We must destroy the USS Good Boy. I do like it. Now, concerning the pilot articles, this part of Hubbard's life was actually true. By all accounts, Hubbard was an extremely talented glider pilot known for daredevil antics, which earned him the nickname. Flash Hubbard, although it is suspected that he gave that nickname to himself. Because the only person that called him Flash Hubbard was himself, talking disparagingly about how I've somehow earned the uh, the nickname Flash Hubbard, which is you making your up your own nickname. <laughs> yeah, Flash Hubbard also sounds like a superhero who can run really fast, but he constantly steps in hot tar, <laughs> and he, so he just really never gets going. Well, th- well I mean- Flash Hubbard just sounds like a fat redheaded man who's showing people his cock. <laughs> Also another possibility. (laughs) Now, that nugget of truth would help him sell all the rest of the bullshit that he would repeat over the next few years, and all that added up landed him an actual position in the famed Explorers Club, who didn't bother to check out any of his claims. Is the Explorers Club still around? I'm not sure. I didn't check. That is the movie Up. Am I just (laughs) tripping out here? Wasn't Wasn't that the Explorers Club? I, I guess I don't, I don't know. know. I'm not going to reference the film anymore. I, just... <laughs> I want to look up. I'm now. I have to look this up. The Explorers Club. If this is still around, that's ridiculous because we found everything. Everything's explored. Yeah. No, the ocean's not explored. I mean, okay, yeah, I guess it would be. The ocean isn't explored. Absolutely. Oh, now it's like explorers. Like they use their brains to explore. Ugh. Like uh. I'm looking at this now. Yeah, this is dumb. Well, the Explorers is- Club used to be like. Uh, I mean, I, it used to be this uh, organization where there would be these rough and tumble men that would get together and they would tell stories and they would go on expeditions Sounds and trips awesome. together. Yeah. No, yeah, it sounds like super cool. Like they yeah, had it a sounds like l- a great way to secretly have sex with a bunch of other leather-clad men in a fancy club in the middle of New York City. I'm sorry, young Reginald. I seem to have gooshed all over your fine moustache. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of gold mining, I guess. All right. 
<laughs> but the Explorers Club was a big deal. Uh, it was very well respected. And now L. Ron Hubbard was a part of it. And with his reputation as an adventurer fully established, Hubbard's career writing stories in the pulp magazines took off with the publication of three stories, Fear, Final Blackout, and Typewriter in the Sky. Ooh. Now, while pretty solid for pulp writing, the stories were still full of embarrassing lines like, Peel your peepers! And, <laughs> By God, he's got spunk. It's in his pants. <laughs> what was the first? Peel your peepers? Peel your peel peepers! Your, peel your peepers, you, you young savage, and learn how to skateboard like that little girl does. I don't know. Strange. Now, one of Hubbard's most useful skills that would take him far into the cult game was his ability to not only sell bullshit, but to get others to sell it for him. Hmm. And when World War II broke out, Hubbard convinced a congressman to write a letter to President Roosevelt extolling Hubbard's virtues as a worldly adventurer with considerable influence in the Caribbean and Alaska. Now, that congressman turned out – that was originally just his neighbor, and they were like drinking buddies, and they would go out and play darts and get drunk all night, and L. Ron Hubbard would sit and talk about all of his ideas and his past and stuff, and he's like, oh, this guy's got a crazy bunch of ideas, and this guy's just like, wow, this guy's really lived a life. But L. Ron Hubbard, that's the first man that he said to him, if you want to make money – you got to start a cult. And then you went on to be elected a congressman, which is how shit gets done in this country, is that you get hammered and share secrets with someone who eventually starts to get into the government. Kissel, I'm looking at you. And then that's <laughs> yeah. when you can really start getting things done. Well, there's no way that this show isn't going to hurt me at all. No <laughs> way. Everything is just fine. <laughs> yeah. This relationship with the congressman who sold his line of bullshit to the president of the United States yeah. is how L. Ron Hubbard, with no experience, was commissioned as a lieutenant in the U.S. Naval Reserve during World War II. Good. Just that easy, huh? Just that easy. He took bullshit and flipped it into becoming an officer in the Navy. And that's like, again, well, we're going to bring this up a lot, but that's like chaos magic in action. That is the idea of, t of generating reality. Right. It's, it's insane. Now, the Scientology story says that Hubbard fought in all five theaters in World War II. He received 21 medals and was severely wounded and blinded before miraculously recovering of his own volition after his family and friends had abandoned him. Hmm. By contrast to that claim, this is what one of his superiors said about him in 1942. This officer is not satisfactory for independent duty assignment. He is garrulous and tries to give impressions of his importance. He also seems to think he has unusual ability in most lines. So uh, he's now going to be working with old Lude Gecko. <laughs> Wow. Now, this review landed Hubbard in a desk job, but it wouldn't be long before he was able to bullshit his way into gaining command of a small submarine hunter off the west coast of the United States. Not in Germany, not in Japan, near San Francisco. Ooh, that's a fun army. But that's like what my dad did. My dad did the same thing, but they had fun with it. Like my dad was in the uh, my dad was stationed in a submarine in the Gulf of Mexico and they're during Vietnam and the goal was to just watch Cuba. And so they would just sit <laughs> on lawn chairs and drink on top of the submarine while the other the Cuban submarine just across the way, like like over the water, would sit and drink on top of their submarine. And in a way, it was an example of how equal we all are. So he was it was just McHale's Navy. Yeah, that's basically yeah. it. Now. 
that opportunity with uh, being a lieutenant and him being uh, assigned to this small submarine hunter, Hubbard would fuck that up spectacularly on May 18th, 1943. And this story is true. Hubbard caught sight of something on his ship's radar, which he immediately assumed to be a Japanese sub parking itself in a busy shipping lane. Now, remember, there were a lot of stories of Japanese subs slowly sneaking up on America. And there were actually a couple of examples. There was a, a Japanese sub, I guess, was fired at like a couple of years before, like right after Pearl Harbor. There was a little buzz of a Japanese submarine. So, like, he's kind of like, OK, maybe my bullshit's starting to come true. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can really command this submarine and make something happen here. Yep. Now, over the course of two days, Hubbard dropped dozens of depth charges into the water in an attempt to sink whatever was down there, ordering refill after refill of ammunition after each attack. He'd drop down two dozen, he'd call in to the coast, they'd bring in more ammunition. Two days that went on. And when someone in charge finally got wind of what was going on, probably because an insane amount of ammunition was being fed to one small sub hunter near San Francisco, it was revealed that Hubbard had been battling with a well-known magnetic deposit. Oh, well, we have to kill that magnetic deposit. Good Lord, but think about how the cancer the magnets will beat. (laughs) Mm, Yes. But before he could be disciplined for that, he took it further by opening fire on a group of small islands near Tijuana for no apparent reason other than he just wanted to. Well, he said he was taking them out for training, Mm. Um, but he did not realize that they literally had crossed the state line. They crossed into Mexico to do it. So essentially it was a... An act, act of, of war. war. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like he almost started a, di- a war on a different front. <laughs> yes. And so you're. this is literally a, a movie. This yeah. is Mikhail's name. This yeah. is like a bunch of idiots in a submarine just blowing shit up. It sounds like a great time. Again, oh, my God. It's- oh, the temperature in this pot is boiling. <laughs> this is what I'm telling this you. Is you fun. love this guy. You're going to love this guy. But I can see it. Just like, there's just so many opportunities where I could see a guy grabbing his hat, throwing it on the ground, going, yeah. God damn it, Hubbard! God <laughs> yeah, with your your faulty plans and your hijinks and your no oh, and your ragtag group of idiots. Sounds like a great time, and then I'd be like, I'm too tall to be on a submarine, and then L. Ron would be like, Well, go outside. And be like, now okay. we're gonna have to call you Stoopy. You gotta stoop. <laughs> A fitness report described him as, quote, below average and recommended he be placed on a large vessel where he could be properly supervised. After this embarrassment, Ron embarked on a long career of malingering, scamming whatever money he could from Veterans Affairs. Hmm. It began with an ulcer, then expanded to headaches, then moved on to arthritis and debilitating hemorrhoids. Interesting. (laughs) Well, yeah, and when when you have a desk job... Technically, hemorrhoids are the worst yes. injury you can have. They, yeah, they yeah. really are. It's just debilitating hemorrhoids. Debilitating hemorrhoids. Yeah. Well, it's because they also grew a mouth and they were like, I don't believe in you. You can't succeed. Yeah, <laughs> like a, like an alien that pops out of Sigourney Weaver's chest. Now, one real ailment he had concerned his eyes. He told friends that he had been the recipient of a flash burn evading capture on the Japanese Isles in hostile territory, which is why he had to wear sunglasses at all times. But in reality, it was nothing more than conjunctivitis, a.k.a. pink eye. Which essentially just means he wiped his ass and didn't wash his hands. (laughs) Right. 
Not nearly as fun as uh, a combat injury. Yeah, and by the way, he got three medals, not 21, and uh, two of those medals were essentially participation awards. Well, yes, and him. he got one for being a part of, he was just in the Navy when we won the war. Yeah, BJ. That's like how you get, you just get <laughs> those medals. And then he, uh, you'll see to, what I like, to see here is that it's the beginning of this scam, right, where he's trying to do the injury lawyer scam. Right, right now in this beginning here, he's starting to learn, well, I can make money just by, by coming up with bullshit. I, I could not string together the miraculous, courageous military career that I wanted to. So now it's like, how do I get free money? Um, and you just debase yourself. You just allow yourself to say all of these things are wrong with you in order to make money and not worry about embarrassing yourself. You just got to lay it all out and just be a professional victim. Yeah, and he did that for years. Uh, And eventually— He really was a veteran. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he really was a veteran, but there were many other veterans (laughs) who were much more deserving. I I will say the the most noble thing that my dad has ever done is the fact that he won't take— veteran benefits because he didn't actually shoot anybody in Vietnam. He, he was just like literally be like, I was in no danger in Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. As a matter of fact, their alcohol consumption probably uh, led to ammunition um, being less, you know, uh, available to a, a ship that actually needed it because the army was out of money because they spent it all on Coors Light. Now, after the war, Ron Leach off the Navy as much as he could, but eventually he returned to his career as a writer. And Ron's career took off in the middle of what some call the golden age of science fiction, with Hubbard releasing work right alongside Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein. And not surprisingly, these writers were a pretty tight-knit group, although Asimov absolutely despised Hubbard. But on the other hand, Asimov was a gigantic asshole and hated everybody. Okay. Through these writers, Hubbard would vaguely cross paths with another charismatic 20th century con man, the man we mention more than anyone else because he seems to be eventually involved in almost everything we cover Alistair Crowley. Mm. Now, I say they had their paths vaguely crossed because Hubbard's real connection was with one of the most fascinating figures of post-war America, famed rocket scientist and Satanist, John Parsons, known to his friends as Jack. This is uh, Jack Parsons is an incredible figure in American history. You guys got to look, you, you read about him, get, get into his lifestyle, because it's, it's absolutely fascinating. He lived it. Well, we're going to go into it now. Do um, you remember this? So think about this. He got out of World War II. He has not been home in a years. His wife does no clue where he is. He went straight from World War II back to New York to hang out with his nerd buddies. And then all of a sudden, California calls. Now, during the day, Jack Parsons worked at the California Institute of Technology, known the world over as one of America's foremost experts on explosives. But by night, Parsons was a dedicated black magician who was an ardent disciple of Aleister Crowley, who was by that time in his twilight years living as a junkie in various boarding houses. Hmm. Now, Parsons joined the Ordo Templi Orientis in 1939 <laughs> and soon became one of its higher ranking members. From there, he began correspondence with Crowley and always addressed him as most beloved father and always signing off as thy son, John. God, that would have made you so Crowley just so horny. And it's really nice to do something. It's like when you go and read for old people like in a home. It's like nice to do that for somebody like him. I hope that someone does that for me. Yes, depending on the book. 
This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, Jack's personal room was decked out with a gigantic altar flanked by pyramidal pillars hung with various occult symbols. But like most magicians, Jack was a nerd. And like most nerds, Jack loved science fiction. He would frequently attend meetings of the Los Angeles Science Fantasy Society, which gathered, appropriately enough, in a basement. They don't need all that light. <laughs> you, why would they need the light? It just gets in their skin. The pigment uh, doesn't, uh, they're not so white with the, with the sun. And there, Jack met writer Lou Goldstone, who introduced Jack to none other than L. Ron Hubbard. Now, this was like the, the, the oh, my love. <laughs> when they met each other, yeah. it was incredible because it's king of the bullshit artists. Meet a dude that, like, you get into black magic essentially to get laid. These guys are all the nerdiest motherfuckers on the face of the planet. They have figured out a way to have sex with goth women. by, by you, 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 you do all of this. We're, we're getting power, all of this. And as things become more and more successful within your rituals and in the, your, your little community, you start believing it more and more. Elrond shows up who has all the the ear of the entire science fiction community that it's like because essentially like before they became classic writers robert heinlein 
was a fucking fat, gross little nerd. Right. Where it's like, like if I didn't, like if we didn't start getting making money doing this, like I would just be a fat dude screaming on the street. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Yes. But the, the you get the uh, what's it? You get the the validation that then now you're a sci-fi writer. Well, now so you're like pass. Now you're interesting, right? Because that's what all these nerds figure out. They figure out how to be interesting. That's a little tip to all you guys out there. Just figure out how to be interesting. That's all you have to do. Well, even I mean, if it's a funny hat, <laughs> a funny hat will make you interesting, indeed. The Parsons and Elron Hubbard, yeah, they just immediately hit it off. And Parsons, he immediately recognized Hubbard as possessing great magical skill, which honestly he did. If you want to talk about somebody who was able to create their own reality. Hubbard is among the most successful magicians of all time. Hmm. He's an incredible wizard. Like, honestly, just being able to say shit, we'll give it in the next episode. There's even more of that. So, yeah. No, unfortunately for Parsons, though, Hubbard hit it off even better with Parsons' girlfriend, Sarah, who very quickly began fucking Hubbard, who had all but forgotten his wife and two kids who were living with his parents back in Montana. Hubbard's stealing wives, but doesn't he have grub back at home? He's got grub back at home. He don't oh give a fuck my. about grub. Now oh he wants my. Sarah. That's ridiculous. No, he wants uh he wants hot witch woman California Sarah. I don't know that how is hot Sarah how hot was Sarah. Yeah, he doesn't want Polly Grubb back in Montana. Polly Grubb could be beautiful. Oh. Yeah, but wasn't Sarah's last name like Northrop or something like that? It doesn't matter. Hot girls always have bad last names. I don't know if she's hot. How do we know she's hot? She's dating this lumpy bastard. Yeah, that, he is hot. right. Like, Sasha Gray's real last name is like Galushka or something terrible yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 it's, it's, it, yeah. She's very hot. You move into this house. So Parsons lived in this house out in Pasadena, this gigantic sprawling mansion that he would only have the most interesting people he met stay there. And it was this big pantheon of, like, it was free sex, free love. Sarah was this, like, live goth girl before goth was goth that was there you have this l ron hubbard shows up in a suit red hair literally very similar looking to me sees this girl and then somehow hooks her now we say here like jack he's used to the oto lifestyle but this makes him pretty upset yeah i mean because jack had lost his uh gal to a to a to a lump i mean it's uh he's a follower of alistair crowley the book of the lots do as thou wilt is the whole of the law so if you are a follower if you're a thelemite or an oto member then you're not supposed to have these human emotions such as jealousy everybody is supposed to be allowed to do whatever they want but jack couldn't handle l ron hubbard for some Reason because well, he's I bone think, zoning his gal. Well, I think no, but plenty of people have been bone zoning his gal. I mean, the, yeah. everybody was bone zoning everybody. Oh my goodness! Yeah, but L. Ron Hubbard, I think he was uh, he was threatened by him because he was able to match Jack's charisma. And, in his mind, his magical power. Right, Because right. Hubbard, he saw L. Ron Hubbard as an equal. Everyone else was beneath him. And yeah, so it's a- like he would let them fuck his girlfriend. Yeah, and be like, He'd yeah, be whatever, like, it's you- fine. He's not, they're they're not going to, they can fuck whatever, you know, she's not going to run off with them, but suddenly L. Ron Hubbard's like, oh shit, she could run off with this guy. And uh, apparently like Jack Parsons in between being friends with L. Ron Hubbard would do these late night rituals in his room to try to send magical spells after him. Oh, that'll work. He'd scream. He would (laughs) say that one guest would talk about, they go in the open and he'd be going like, like nude, like kneeling down, like all the candles lit around him. Meanwhile, like you got fucking uh, Elrond in the other room, just like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Stop. Call me Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I threw up a little in my own mouth. I shouldn't have had so much soup. 
Is that ketchup soup? Do I smell that ketchup soup? Mm, that's good. Oh, yeah, puking into my mouth, puking into my mouth. And then they're, they're oh, fucking, then he's goodness. just like sitting there being like, why has Satan forsaken me? <laughs> One guy's just screaming a lot, just doing it all wrong. But anyway. if you listen to what Scientology says, though, Hubbard, quote, broke up black magic in America. They said Hubbard was sent by a group of physicists to, quote, handle the situation. Oh, Go wow. fuck themselves. Because he showed up, <laughs> because literally, Jack Parsons was now writing letters to Aleister Crowley saying, this guy has shown up. I love him. He's the most powerful magician I've ever met. He's trying to take over my branch. Because mm-hmm. Hubbard got right in there. Like yeah. he, had, he showed up, he realized what he could do, and he started swaying everyone around him telling him stories of being a glider and being the explorers club and all of his like his many uh victories in the yeah. navy it's it's really nuts so it's like he always shows up and he's ready to be a leader and this is again like you mentioned earlier marcus before google yeah before you could just be like oh this guy is totally completely full of shit this does remind me i was watching lock up raw extended stay and there was an inmate who um had a he was cheated he, he was he fell in love with the, another inmate's wife and then she married him Aww. you can imagine how terrible that inmate Aww. felt because he lost his wife to another inmate. Can that is you, nice. I'm sure he got stabbed to death in the shower not soon after that. I was like, how do you lose your wife to another inmate? You know, but it happened. Um, I mean, Hubbard, as much as he was trying to take over, he was still doing a lot of rituals with Jack Parsons. They were still friends. Uh, the most ambitious and undertaking was, without a doubt, the moon child ritual. These fuckers mm. tried the moon tra- child ritual. It's pretty amazing because <laughs> Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard gets like now he's become officially the scribe of the book of the group, yeah. right? Where he writes down, he chronicles all of the rituals. Okay, where so, Parsons puts them together. Hmm? But what is this moon child ritual? Well, Crowley believed that the greatest thing a magician could do was to usher in the coming of the Antichrist, which Thelemites called the moon child. And by the way, that's also a plot point in. The Invisible. Yeah, it's that entire chapter. It's it's really fun. Um, Moonchild's terrifying about, in The Invisible. It's really good. It's like I think he likes me. <laughs> Ooh, that's nice. It's, it's fun. I like it. I like yeah. The Invisible. It's pretty. It's awesome. I'm back through it again. I'm like, I'm on number four now, and I love it. Fuck yeah. Um, but think about this, right? Because it seemed to be the perfect recipe. You got. He, Jack Parsons believes he's a powerful man of magic. Mm-hmm. This man shows up who apparently is his equal, his rival, and his best friend. Because they used to call each other like uncle. They used to have this thing where they were Ugh. really, really, really close. So there's something about magically, the idea of something that is both so attracting and repellent. He also then looks as L. Ron Hubbard as one of the most powerful magicians he's ever met. And Jack Parsons considers himself a super powerful magician. So he's like, we got... That we got the goods, we got the Space Jam team that it's gonna take <laughs> to fucking make the Moonchild happen. That was technically a sports reference. <laughs> Space Jam. The Moonchild was supposed to be born of the Scarlet Woman, the unholy harlot that Crowley searched for but never managed to find over the years. Hmm. And the Scarlet Woman actually comes from the Book of Revelations, this passage in particular. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, 
mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Ooh, it's like Fuck the, yeah, dude. What is that, a And her favorite show was the Gilmore Girls. Oh, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> but before the Moonchild could be summoned, Parsons and Hubbard had to find their Scarlet Woman. Luckily, there was a ritual for that. It began on January 4th, 1946. At 9 o'clock p.m., they played Prokfiev's Violin Concerto and went forth into the land of magic. First... Parsons prepared and consecrated the appropriate magical weapons, tablets, and talismans. What kind of weapons are we talking here? Swords. Yeah, little oh, knives. Yeah. Little Get knives, knives okay. and swords. <laughs> if this was not about sex, this would be very lame. All right, just, just remember that. Then he performed 11 consecutive rituals throughout 11 days, starting with invoking pentagram of air and invocation of the bottomless one. Which is a lot of spinning. Honestly. Yeah. It's spinning and it's hand motions and you sit in a thing and it's hours and it's fasting and it's eating calm and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And the whole thing was to end with license to depart, purification, and banishing. Now, the first indication that something was happening came on the second and third nights when windstorms began to whip at the windows of the mansion. Not quite what he was expecting. He was expecting a little bit more, but still an indication that they were on the right track. Hmm. The seventh day brought poltergeist activity when Parsons was awoken at midnight by seven knocks, followed by his table lamp being thrown across the room. And the tenth night brought an actual attack. Ronald, dressed in his magical magician robes, I'm just walking down to the kitchen, eating nothing but a nice pat of butter. People will tell me I'm disgusting, but eating white foods is how you keep your skin white. I've heard that. <laughs> he was holding a candle when a, he was hit by a spirit in the right shoulder. He dropped the candle and called out to Parsons, and both men saw a brownish-yellow light seven feet tall in the kitchen. <laughs> Sorry. I'm the farting ghost. <laughs> that seems like a wild ghost. Parsons drew his magical sword and waved it at the apparition, which quickly disappeared. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me. Bye. <laughs> such, these guys are such nerds. I can't even. They're, they're doing this to get laid. They're all doing this to get laid. Go out the front door where Craig T. Nelson was knocking for the poltergeist activity. Well, they're not yeah. just doing it to get laid. They're also doing it because it's fun as shit. It I mean, does, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. The guy, I the, know. It's Yeah, fun. the fucking dude next door is just sitting down watching I Love Lucy. These guys are waving magical swords at ghosts. It's the chocolate factory <laughs> episode where she has to eat all the chocolate because the conveyor belt's moving so fast. Yes. It's funny. Yes, it is funny. <laughs> Think about it. And it's also a whole house of rich, witchy people. Yeah. Like, everybody's buying in. And all the chicks are, like, are looking really good. And the guides are all super exciting. Like, this is high drama. This it's, is fun as shit. It's high drama. Like, this is the type of stuff that super intelligent nerds get into. Because, yeah. I mean, Jack Parsons was a fucking rocket scientist. Right. And not just a rocket scientist, but one of the most brilliant rocket scientists in the entire world. World, so this and, and L. Ron Hubbard is 
was a brilliant man in his own right. Uh, so this is how super nerd, super nerdy, super smart people. This is just how they spend their time. This is one way they spend their time. Yeah. It's how all of them spend their time. <laughs> Every uh, one of them, least, like say, Bill Gates and like and like Hawkins, Stephen Hawkins, just get together. And I mean, someone has to wave it around for Stephen Hawkins. That's but but that's what they do. His legs, like he's Kermit when he's when they put him on the bicycle yeah. and shit like that. Just just really no. don't know if all super intelligent people do this, but. I'd say I'd rather this than them forming a Nazi party, which is the last time a bunch of fucking nerds wanted to turn something I, serious. I suppose that's true. Yeah, you know, all these stories here uh, that we're talking about, these don't come from L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard wanted all this stuff flushed away. All this comes from Jack Parsons' magical journals and his letters to Aleister Crowley, who was not the least bit impressed no. by Ron and Jack's antics. In a letter to another OTO member, Crowley wrote, Apparently Parsons or Hubbard or somebody is producing a moon child. I get fairly frantic when I contemplate the idiocy of these clouts. Oh, oh, oh excuse me. I, I have a whole birdcage up my ass. <laughs> well, let it out. Jeez. How the heck did it get up there? But the funny thing is, the ritual to summon the Scarlet Woman actually worked. Four days after the end of the ritual, Ron and Jack went out to the desert to relax as, you know, things oh, were getting yeah. a little tense at the house because nothing had happened. Sure. They spent 11 days doing goofy bullshit. Four days went by. Nothing happened. But then suddenly Jack said that he was overcome by a sense of relaxation and well-being, turned to Ron and said, it is done. The toaster strudels. <laughs> Ooh, I love a toaster strudel. Okay, so it seemed to work. And when they got back to the house... They found a redhead, a scarlet woman named Marjorie Cameron waiting for them. Wow. And this is the thing, too, because this house was known to freaks everywhere. Because this is Pasadena. Well, he put out ads in the papers for freaks. Yeah. What what year is this? Uh, This is a... 1947, I think. Uh, This is mid to late 40s. There was more redheads around then. There was. (laughs) Yes. That is true. We're We're dying dying out. Yeah, y'all have been bred out pretty hardcore. (laughs) But... This is, so women were just kind of showing up all the time. But in magical uh, teachings, these kind of coincidences are exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. And so when he, she shows up, and not only – we say right here, like she was not only willing but impatient to have the Antichrist. Yeah, she was. <laughs> she wanted to participate in any and all magical and sexual escapades right. as soon as humanly possible. I think that if you do want to bump up activity on your Tinder profile, man or woman, you can just say anxious to be host to the Antichrist. Yeah, impatiently <laughs> wanting to be the mother of the Antichrist. And Parsons, he was eager as well, possibly to mend his broken heart. It oh. had Sarah had pretty much chuffed him off for Ron by this point. Mm. Parsons said he had received instructions from a higher power on how to impregnate the Scarlet Woman with the Moonchild, just as Crowley had received the words that would become his book of law. So, so tell me, what is sex? <laughs> I know, it's, 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 you're taking the fun out of it, the spontaneity. you got to go through a whole book and things like that? No, it has to be very serious, Kessel, for this I, uh, well, shit to I, work. Okay. Yeah. This so, is a very important ritual, you idiot. It just right, doesn't seem very fun. Us. I just feel like the Antichrist would like to be born out of fun. No, it's serious. Okay, well, okay, I guess so. So Hubbard, Parsons, and Marjorie, the Scarlet Woman, performed the ritual in February with Rachmaninoff's Isle of the Dead playing in the background. The three of them began chanting. Shit. All right, let's do this together. Yeah. All right, ready? 
Glory, Glory unto, unto the, the Scarlet Woman. woman. Babylon. Babylon. The, the mother, mother of, of abominations. That rideth upon the beast. For she has for she spilled has her spilled blood. I don't know if we're going to make it, guys. I think we're messing up the Antichrist ritual. Oh, God, no. Start it again. Okay, let's start back. Let's start again. Let's start again. Take all the chickens just sitting there and be like, I'm getting cold. I'm getting quite cold. Take two. Take two. Take two. All right, all right. Don't mess it up this time. I'll count us off. We'll go three, two, one, go, okay? Okay. Three, two, one. Glory unto the Scarlet Woman. Babylon, the mother of abominations, that rideth upon the beast, for she has spilt their blood in every corner of the earth, and lo, she had mingled it in the cup of her whoredom. Great job, guys. Now we, we only have to do that 16 or 17 what? more times, and then the Moonchild ritual will be complete. Oh, my God. Guys, 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 guys. Um, My problem is, is that I, I just came. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I'm going to have to be Wand Master now. All right. I thought well, I was going to get to be Scribe this time. We'll wait 45 minutes and try it again, okay? <laughs> Let me go get a mayonnaise sandwich. Now, after the chanting was done, Ron remained at the altar while Parsons, the high priest, inserted his wand, wink, wink, Ugh, into Marcus, the scarlet. Hey, that's what they said. Okay, all right. Into the Scarlet Woman and gooshed her good with a little. Yeah. Did they say that too? All right, I officially don't believe anything that you guys are telling me anymore. They gooshed in her too. He gooshed her good. He gooshed her good. Okay, and L. Ron Hubbard wrote that along with Mr. Jack, Parsons. No, Jack just Jack put his little stick stick in there, right, and then immediately went like. <laughs> and just shot ropes. Don't know if this is how you make the Antichrist. <laughs> now, Parsons was completely convinced that the ritual had worked and was expecting in nine months' time to come face-to-face with the fabled moonchild. Ron, on the other hand, was just along for the ride, playing a long con on poor old Jack Parsons. All Jack Parsons wanted to do was invoke the Antichrist oh. and bring about the end of the world. Oh, that's yeah, all he wanted on, to yeah. do. <laughs> that's all he wanted. That's, what, that's it. See, come Hub- on. See, Hubbard, though, he had no money and had gotten a reputation in the Parsons' house for borrowing cash and never paying it back. Classic. He had also all but stolen Sarah away from Jack, and Jack, wanting to play the good OTO free lover and possibly overcompensating a bit, agreed to enter into a business partnership with Ron and Sarah, Flipping yachts. Now, this is the thing that escapes me. <laughs> this whole time, they are working on creating a ritual to bring about the Antichrist. Yeah. Like, you know, Elrond is just is lying to Jack. Jack's, like, super serious about this. In the middle, they literally just opened the door to hell. They had a full-on sex ritual with chanting and shit. Right. A couple of days later, Jack's sitting around there literally knitting, like, the, the three-legged thing, like, from Adam's <laughs> family, like, waiting for the Antichrist to come. He shows up being like, hey, hey, Jack, 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 great idea, great idea. Love making the Antichrist with you. You're great at fucking good work with that wand. High, High five. five. We got to get into flipping yachts. Why wouldn't we get into flipping yachts? Of course, that's the next step after you make the Antichrist. You go and you flip sea vessels. Oh, Parsons was the one with the money. so he The put, only one with any cash. The only one with any How money. How did Elrond, well, I guess he was charismatic. Hey, huh? man, he was the guy. This so he, he stole this guy's wife. 
He's he, taken all of his money. Not his wife, his girlfriend. His girlfriend. Yeah. And the, yeah, he's he's stolen her away. But that's what I was saying. Like Parsons, he's overcompensating because he he is an OTO leader. He's trying yeah. to remain in position. So he has to prove that he's okay with Sarah now being with Elron. Right, right, right. So he puts up 10 grand. And Sarah and Ron, of course, immediately ran off with it over so to goes, Miami. He's like, literally, go buy, go buy the boats. Okay. Why would he? So Elrond shows up with all these like these like okay, I found this type of boat, and I think this kind of boat we're gonna do we're gonna do these tours, and then we'll flip them. Blah blah blah. He's like, okay, go buy the boats. Just come right back. He's like, I'm I'm already back. It's like I'm back. <laughs> they don't come back. No right? kidding. He's like, where, where are these boats? They come down to Florida. They they catches catches up to them in in Miami, where they have these boats out there. He can't find them. There's no record that they bought. They they they, they can't find the records of the boat of which one they bought. Finally, they find they Sarah and Ron show up and be like, absolutely, we got to get you your boat. Like you were gonna do this, you can have the boat back. You could do whatever you want with it. Cut to literally him on the harbor, watching them being like wave and being like boats Bye. over here. We're gonna get in the boat. We're gonna bring it around. So boat just takes off. He literally just goes out into the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) But that night in his hotel room, Parsons fought back. He donned his magic robes, which he had brought with him to Miami, just in case. He drew a pentagram on the floor Uh. and invoked Bartzabel, spirit of Mars. Did you call it, it's Bartzabel? Bartzabel. Oh, gosh, they call me Fartzabel. Can I I change my name for Bartzabel? I really feel like, as the spirit of Mars, that we could st- we, we could stop with the pedantic nicknames. Okay, <laughs> I stop boats. All right, does anybody oh get mad my. at you, Nautzalazor, because you create different types of knots? No, yeah. everyone respects you. I'll call you Schnatzelazor. No, that I won. No, whether it was a coincidence or not, there was an actual sudden squall that night off the coast, which forced Ron's boat back to port. Parsons was waiting and took the boat back into his custody. (laughs) He decided after that to go a more worldly route from then on and filed a lawsuit against his former friends, which was settled out of court. Ultimate chaos magic. Ultimate Call chaos a lawyer magic. Call and just have it get, <laughs> just get it done that for change, you, please. See, that's the thing is that changes your reality. It changes your reality yes. from see, not having see. a boat to having, having a boat. A boat. Through having a transaction, a boat. through a financial oh transaction God. with an intermediary. That's chaos magic. Yes. That's chaos magic. And now you have a boat in landlocked Pasadena. And who, who, who <laughs> wanted it? Also, meanwhile, his scarlet woman has gotten very attached to him, who is pregnant with a child, sitting there. So Jack Parsons loses his groovy girlfriend, got a boat that he spent $10,000 for. He's he's hanging out in this house that's falling apart. And then eventually he dies in a nitroglycerin explosion in his garage. But so, some say there was that nothing- he was murdered through a magical attack. Because since yeah. he was one of the most, uh, he was one of the biggest uh, explosives experts in the entire world, there was no way that he would have mishandled nitroglycerin, something so elementary. Yeah. So it must have been an attack. Well, or he's an idiot who has a boat in a desert. <laughs> All I know is, is that I've cooked food hundreds of times and I chop the whole top of my thumb off. Yeah, I think it that having nitroglycerin around right. all the time increases your odds Woo, that eventually up. you will be exploded by nitroglycerin. Absolutely. But after the lawsuit, uh, Jack Parsons never saw Sarah or Ron ever again. And the two ended up marrying each other 
later that year. And Sarah had no idea that not only had her new husband been married before and had two kids, but was still married to Polly Grubb when their union took place. He's a bigamist. You can't even trust the guy you cheated on your boyfriend with who then did a ceremony to create the Antichrist you stole a boat with. You can't trust anybody anymore. You can't trust anybody. That's the worst thing about love, isn't it? Wow. And I'll tell you what, being married to more than one person, I mean, it takes a lot. And it's big of him, and it's big of me. (laughs) Are you kidding me right now? (laughs) Stu? Are you Stu from ABC's or NBC's A to Z? What about Barb? What, what about, about Barb? Barb? What about Barb? <laughs> now, after the wedding, the pair moved back to California where Ron would return to that most dangerous of all his books, Excalibur. And within four short years, Dianetics would be born, which is where we'll pick back up next time. Oh, my wow. goodness. Well, what an insightful episode on the weird, nerdy life of L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, it all starts with nerds, with yeah. all of them. And this Every is what- cult that ends in death starts with nerds. You've it's got really Scientology, Om Shinrikyo, yeah, yeah. Heaven's Gate. It's all nerds. Yep. Well, we got to well, start to- We're just- you think about nerds. Bullying right? nerds again. That's what I start saying. That's what <laughs> no, I'm I don't, right we don't bully nerds because don't this, bully is nerds? What, this is back why, that's, this is what happened when they got bullied. Because uh, these cult the leaders say, like, we enough. can make you powerful. Oh, I Remember see. about nerds. They're good with money, so they always have a lot of it. Sometimes. Right? They, they, they know how to save it. They get very obsessed with specific things. It is a great core group to get at. If you want money and a lot of people doing work for free, because that's what nerds do. That's the idea. That's why you'd harness them to do the group work in school, because they do all the hard work, and then you'd be the flash man. That's what I do. (laughs) I suppose so. Um, All right. I mean, it is unbelievable that uh, this man really uh, shaped Hollywood and shaped entertainment in this nation for so long and, and convinced some of our... Not our brightest minds, but some of our more uh, uh, famous our more, minds. Our more John uh, Traw minds. Our more John Traw and, and Tom Cruise-esque minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he was uh, an actual, I guess, a deity to some degree. Uh, I mean, yeah, when you look at uh, some of the weird ceremonies that Scientologists have and the reverence they give to LRH, as they call him, yeah. uh, at some point in the ceremony, everyone always turns and salutes the, a picture of him, uh, like to LRH, our savior. Yeah, I, oh, uh, so weird, and it's very odd. It's That's in going clear. They show a, a, a scene like that. Yeah, they should just call him Flash Hubbard. Yeah, it's Flash. so much cool. Flash, Flash yeah. Hubbard. To you, Flash. Yeah, that's kind of man. Funny. It's and it's still going, and they, may, and they have oh, yeah. a lot of money. But I hope, I think they're hopefully dying. Well, we'll get into actually well, what Scientology is, uh, uh, which ooh. is very difficult. To talk about, I walked yeah. into a, what it is. I walked into a Scientology office. There's one in Midtown, just lit off my ass, and I, I did scream a little bit. <laughs> um, and then they did escort me yeah. out. Well, Scientology, my- their uh, their membership numbers are down, but their profits are way up. Right, way, yeah. way, way up. All you need is a couple of rich ones. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be doing just fine. Awesome. All right, L. Ron Hubbard. That is informative, illumin- illuminating, and also interesting. Don't fall uh, into the trap of the of these cult-like personalities. Remember, if it's too good to be true, then it is. It always is. It literally always is. They uh, cannot fix you. No, yeah. they cannot. Can you can only, only fix, fix yourself. yourself. Boom, Marcus. That's, oh, I, oh, we're married now. Oh, uh, that's nice. <laughs> now, uh, fuck. 
What? Henry, no, I don't want. Oh, now fuck each other, Henry. Later. <laughs> if um, you want to see us fuck, go to patreoncom oh podcast. No, that's <laughs> not gonna be okay. Well, I don't. If you, honestly, if you donate three million dollars, if you no, I said three. You said two thousand. $2,000 no, no, to have sex with each other. No, no, no. Three no, no, million. Two, no, but that's $2,000 every month. Yes. Yeah, but that's only 24. No. We only have to have sex mo- once. For $24,000? No, I mean, there's gonna be a, there might be like, what if like 40 people want to see if as, see us have sex? That's still not Think remotely close to enough. <laughs> not even. Think about this. You could fuck Marcus and imagine Marcus as a lady for a, a small period of time. I'm not Ross Parsons. I'm not one of you types. I don't wear robes. <laughs> I, I believe that semen is best not digested. Yeah, my butthole is pretty hairy. Oh, my God. No, uh, this is disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for donating to the Patreon page. Um, I'm doing. Yeah. I'm trying to do a weekly creepypasta. And for you're doing everybody. a great job I'll, with it. I'll, I'll get one uh, out for you guys soon. Um, so that's really been a life changer, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of Patreon, uh, all of you who give to Patreon just a dollar or more get access to pre-sale tickets the day before uh, shows go on sale. And we just announced a gigantic block of shows Colorado Springs Denver that's 419 and 420 now what happens on 420 (laughs) (laughs) bong noises dude oh that's good all I thought about was ketchup soup when you did that (laughs) yep we're doing Denver on April 19th and Colorado Springs on 420 at the Black Sheep then we're doing two dates Los Angeles California at the Masonic Lodge at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Well, you know, I, I feel actually really weird now that I read that ritual with you guys. You know I'm converting to Christianity. <laughs> I, I'm going back. I th- think that's very, Yeah, we've very been talking brave. about it for my career. You know, I think that that's better. And, and Jesus did have a lot of great points yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. That he did. That he and, did. And, and, and it was so fun. And then May 11th to May 13th, we're doing a Texas tour. I'm coming home. Yeah, Austin, Texas, Houston, weird, Texas, and Dallas, weird. Texas. A country boy made weird. Marcus <laughs> Parks is coming back to Texas. Yeah. What, yeah. I, what I would like uh, when we're – I think Dallas is probably the one, right? If someone could point me towards I want a full cowboy attire outfit. <laughs> Dallas, we're gonna we'll go, I'll take you down to Fort Worth, I'll take you down to the stockyards and we can fix you up good there. And then we'll I go the and then we'll thing. go have barbecue at Billy Bob's right you afterwards. Are, You'll love it. You are gonna I, end up turning on some random uh gay man in, in Dallas and you're gonna walk out of there like you were just riding a horse for three days straight. It's going to be too much for them to handle with your succulent, strange Polish butt all dressed I'll like tell a cowboy. You what, I don't wish I could quit him. <laughs> no, you'll do fine. There's nothing that Texans love more than some dumb shit tourist showing up and yeah. spending a whole bunch of money trying to look like them. That's they what I want. I want a big it. hat. <laughs> I want a big hat. I want an embroidered shirt. Like, I want snake boots. You're just D- Jeff Daniels from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Then you'll get some of that good old-fashioned Texas thinly veiled contempt. Oh, my God. Howdy. <laughs> so, it's dry. It's a dry heat, huh? <laughs> Not from around here, huh? Oh, I'm from anywhere I want to be. Lovely bell buckle. Bust into show tunes. That's a good idea in Texas. I had a dream. Uh, well, I mean, we take you to the stockyards if you're feeling frisky. If you're feeling thrifty, we'll take you to Lusky's. Oh, I'm feeling frisky. All right. I want to drop some coin. All right. I want some bones on my hat. All right, we can do that. You can easily spend $1,000 on a pair of boots. 
Let's do it. <laughs> Man, May 25th, we're coming to Canada. We're coming to Toronto. Can't wait. Uh, oh. And then, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then June 3rd, we're going back to Atlanta. And specifically, we're going back to the Earl. Yes. Can't wait to do that. We fucking love the Earl. We're yep. doing two... Uh, Two shows there, uh, and then on June 10th, we're going to Indianapolis, Indiana. Cannot wait. I This I'm is going to be so exciting. So excited to be back with my peeps in Atlanta. I got V and Karen and the whole crew. We're going to do this shit. Oh, we're going to have a lot of fun. I mean, the first time at the Earl, I think that was... Uh, we sold out that that show, and that was sort of the first time where we realized how amazing. Well, we always knew the fans were amazing, but yeah. we, I just remember I put some beer on the stage to, to strike it. As a theater actor. Strike. No, just, strike is to, when you to, take to, it away. I don't know, set it up. <laughs> and then, the, you know, the crowd was just so nice. And I was like, wow, guys. I mean, uh, you know, it was uh, it was just awesome no, to, it was, uh, to meet everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was the first night when we realized people were actually listening. And it's pretty amazing that I think it was this weekend uh, that uh, it's been only a year since we did Baltimore for 70 people. Awesome. Uh, and it's really fucking great how far we've come since then. And it's, of course, like all due uh, to all of y'all out there that's been coming to all these shows yep. and uh, really supporting us so thank you so much we can't wait to see you on every single day and thanks so much for supporting all the shows here at ccr abligan's top out round table of gentlemen page seven sex and other human activities uh wizard and the bruiser which is holden's new show or i guess not that new anymore um and then we also have a bunch of t-shirts and stuff like that coming out products Marcus. products many we products have, we have I've many products, products. cave comedy radio merch.com is where you find all yes. the t-shirts uh hail satan uh, follow us on fucking Twitter at LP on the left on everything. Follow me at uh, Henry Loves You, at Marcus Parks, at Ben Kissel. Follow me on Instagram at Dr. Fantasty. At, at Ben Kissel One. I'm Ben Kissel One. I'm, I'm sometimes using it. I'm at Marcus Parks, and go follow me on Spotify for a new weekly playlist that I just like to make. That's right. Hail yourselves, everybody. Hail me. Uh, hail Guy. No, 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 suck my dick. No, 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 no. All right, it's time for the Patreon shout outs, everybody. Thank you guys so much for donating. You guys are lifesavers and wonderful human beings. Marcus, what do we want to do? Should I start this one off? Sure. All right. Patreon shout outs. This, I want to thank Lindsay DeVries. Thank you very much. Toloff Valden. That sounds like a magical man, doesn't he? Toloff Valden. Mr. Valden, hello. Yes, indeed. Matthew Erickson, thank you very much. Dan Howe, Rohan Gray, Aaron Garcia, thank you so much. Taylor Gibson, Leanna Kay, Andrew Frankus, Jeffrey Young, uh, Chad Missen- Missenheimer. Ooh, that's fun. That's like out of uh, Naked Gun. Chad Missenheimer? That's Dr. Meinheimer. Dr. Meinheimer. Well, maybe they're related. Uh, Chad Missenheimer, thank you. Lami, uh, Lami Khan, Jesse, jo- Jesse Jones. How do I mess up Jones? Jesse Jones. <laughs> How do you pronounce this one? Um, Rob P., Victoria Lubach, uh, or Lubach, Tim Tweed, Heather Holly, Jed Jacobson, Tom Mezek, Joseph Richardson, Brian Dixon, Caro Bader, Rachel Stevens, Angelica Saunderson, Wood Giles, Infocopolis. Infocopolis. Inf- it's like Apocalypse, but with info in front of it. Inco- I- Infocalypse. Infocalypse. You're killing me. Infocalypse. You're killing me. That's, uh, you're dying? <laughs> I don't know anymore. Katie Simon, Lakin, Lakin Erton, Martin O'Neill, Luke Breen, Russell Badgett, 
Taylor Brennan, Susan Gartell, Aubrey Bolin. That's a fun activity too. Lucas Nord, Stacy. That is fun. D- that is fun. Uh, Lucas Nord, Stacy Daggle, K. Tor, Russell Holly. This is Spanish for Ant. Tia Baker, Ooh. Ashley Livermont, Sarah Rummel. Hi, girl. Hey, Hi. Matt Coughlin. Yeah, she's around. She's around. She's around. Catherine Souter, Anthony Capuano, Chris Bell, Matthew K. Behrens, Kalina Bowman, Christiana Cushing, Teal Wilson, John Michael Perkins, Lindsay. Sounds like a sounds like a, a slow uh, jazz singer or a, a soft yeah. rock singer. John Michael Perkins. Yeah, why not? Hey, the Rivers of Lions. <laughs> Bradley Gilbert, Kyra Davis, Jeff Wolf. Joshua Young, Katie Hopper, Lindsay Forbes, Socrates. Oh, that's interesting. Brendan Pontio, Malo Malo Malo, John Naylor, Julie Ruse, Sean Lyons, Kimberly True, James, Alex De Serrano, Donald Holman, Sarah Keith, Jennifer Sanders, Cash McMeans. Alexander Cash, Mc, Cash McMeans, that's my cousin. That's a great name. Yeah. His real name is Cash McMeans? Cash McMeans, yeah. Cool. He's like the coolest fucking dude ever. Hey, Cash. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Cash. He's, uh, yeah, one of my favorite people in the world. I can't wait to see you in Texas. Oh, no, he lives in uh, Nashville. I thought you all lived in Texas. Nope. Hmm, lies. <laughs> Where do the lies stop, Mr. Hubbard? I, I have a very big family. I guess so. Alexandra S., Chris Blair, Hannah Pepin, Nolan Williams, Alex Finotti, <laughs> Alexander Blifford. <laughs> Dude, I like it. I would love, and you know what? Sometimes when I really want, when I get super stoned, I would love a Blifford. <laughs> you are <Yes>. done. <laughs> I got. Thank you, Renata Varaik, Varaik, Renata Varaik, Ian Forrest, Brandon Lim, Elisa Jackman, Kyle Olguin, Kelly Morgan. Baroness Josephine Kilcullen. Johnny Confidence. That's my favorite. <laughs> Johnny Confidence. Johnny Confidence. <laughs> Quick, you got 14 seconds to make up a name. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Confidence. Johnny Confidence. <laughs> you, know, uh, you only needed one second to do that. Crystal Vergara. Emily Cooney. Ken Marsh. Natalia Santana. J.D. King. Dan Verdermurin. Verdermurin. Verderman. Verderman. Ver- Dan- <laughs> the name you can't say when you're drunk or sober. Ver- it's Verderman. No officer. Verderman. My just, last name is take just- me away from Farmer's Verderman. Verderman. Yes. Like a vitamin? No, like a Verderman. <laughs> Daniel Finan. Megan Sanchez. Alyssa Vaughn. Patrick Van Brunt. Sarah White. Kaylee Johnson. Taylor Roth. Megan Olinger. Taylor Poe. Tiffany Gabriel. Jake Collins, Robert Perry, Carrie, Neil Bartlett, Jessica Colantuno, Rolo Grayson, Kelly Higgins, Corey Newman, Sam Barrett, Liz Vortman, Adrian, mm-hmm. Brittany Scherzer, mm-hmm. Simon Grimmer, and Rosemary White. All right, I got Ellen Varner. Thank you so much, Ellen. Joel and Josri Villarreal, Mike and Tara Comnelli, Com- uh, Michael Mack. Alisa Tacino or Tacino, Mark Waldorf, I love your hotel, Verox, V I R O X Z, I'm assuming Verox, Jake and Sam Labas, Chelsea Mars, Sarah 
Orvides. It's O Y E R V I D E S. Orvides. 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 That's a fun one, anyway. William Langley, Agata Stasic, which sounds like a, a, something you say at the doctor. Agata Stasic. Agata Stasic. You are on fire right <laughs> now. This is good. Here, here's your sign. <laughs> Do not be for me. Um, <laughs> you might be. Okay. Jason Scholes, Eric Henschel. Tony Tony Staub, Whitney Meyer, hello Whitney, Mr. Dangerous, Nicholas Pastillo, <laughs> uh, Meg Turney, Chrissy Deller. Wait a second, you should say Meg Turney. Yes, that's a very that's a famous person. Meg yeah, Turney? Meg, Meg Turney. She is a uh, famous cosplayer. She's coming and seeing us in yeah some. Uh, can't remember which one, but yeah, we've been talking to her on Twitter lately. Oh, wonderful! Well, thank oh, you I'm, so much, man. I'm nervous now. She's coming to the show. Yeah, oh I don't know. God. She's just a person, Henry. <laughs> Take it easy for crying out loud. You get all nervous oh, around. No. Oh, oh my! No. Well, you just oh blew my it. God, it doesn't girl. matter if you're nervous or not because you just blew it already. It is, oh, isn't that incredible? Thirty-five-year-old <laughs> man. Okay. Oh. Uh, all right. Chrissy Deller, Jeffrey Edwards, Joseph Downing. Gina Fusello, Andrew Kelly. Uh, well, this is just a series of letters. S R A H K I S. Serakis? Okay. Sarah White, Ashley Snyder, Andrea Devana, Ol- Olivia Oliver. That's kind of fun. Tim Thorpe, uh, maybe related to Jim Thorpe, a great football player and Native American. Oh. Ravine- Ravenil Singh, Ravenil Singh, thank you so much. Taylor Neese, Leela Shake, Christian Penner. Uh, Sierra O'Flanagan, Travis Steenstra, Nicole Gaskin, Carrie, Ashley Smodic, and Catherine E. Kovac. Thank you all so much. Hey, Catherine Kovac. I believe I know you as well. Yeah, uh, no Yvonne Holden, as in holding the joint. Pass it. You got to pass it, girl. Jason Hill. <laughs> Nick Dudukovic. <laughs> I know it's Didok. It's like Didokovic. Didokovic? Dudokovic. Dudokovic. Dudukovic. Bonnie Guillotine. Christopher Bishop. Natalie Moros. Kevin J. Hogan. Casey Schubert. Jane Bastin. D. Pib. Seattle McMattenberry. Lindsay Withers. Matthew Scrum. Grady Horn. Elise Deloy. Aaron Corcoran. Aaron Robb. Tamsin Hunter, who we've known for a long time. She's in Australia. Oh, time then. hello. Maddie Gallagher. Kylie Hankey. Nathan- Nathaniel Bona. Candice Juniper. Nathan West. Justin Brobe. Josh Harden. Marius Zoll Johnson. Christina Smith. Wellington Hotslar. Leisha Syncox. Summer Ann Adamowitz. Madeline S. Amy Romero, Matt Cabral, Sarah Semayel, Bill Cassidy, Aaron Garcia, Jesse Smith, and Kelly Kirst. I got Gucci, Chris Cataldi, Chrissy Lee, Tyler Gronsky, Brandon Bolton, Shauna Lawler, Jim Harley, Kimberly, Johan Johnson, James Morgan, Mackenzie, Shelby Hunt, Stephanie Palmer, Jack Hodel, Sophie Edwards, Preston Light, Alex Martin, Mincebuck, The Matt and JB Show, Kathleen Ma, Alyssa Diaz, Eric Miller, Joseph Zvia, Lauren Roth, Juliana Copeland, 
Isabella, Christine West, Haley Mara, Brittany Sims, Jeffrey Lore, Nick Johnson, Miranda Pelicano, Brittany Arredondo, Tara Donahue, Jennifer Wilcutt, Carrie Steer, Austin Koenig, Ryan Marsh, Jennifer Waldman, Stacy Lee, Jess Turner, Peter, Kenneth Clower, Clogger, Elizabeth J, Eric Ashford, Joel Wadsworth, oh. Ryan K. Parcha, Eugene Sparks, Nina Quirk Goldblatt. I love it. Yeah, and that's huh. a hyphenated name. Ooh, Cork Gold. That's out of uh, what is the uh, John Waters film? Hairspray. Hairspray. The, the, gore, the the Goldblatts. Yeah, the Goldblatts. Huh. I believe something like that. Something Blatt related. Christina huh. here. Nick Glasgow. Jason Yen. Sarah. Lindsay Moore. Ian McCollum. Eden Sundern. And Traeger Ruder. Traeger Ruder. Traeger Ruder. Traeger. That's a that's a good scary name. I hope he's mentally stable <laughs> because that could go. He could either like solve all the crimes or like create all of them. Oh, it could go either way. Either uh, way, I love it. Thank you guys so much uh, for donating Thank you guys to so the much. Patreon. Yes, I'm gonna get out give of creepy pasta here. Very give me the soon. money. Don't add. Um, don't also, de- come on. Give me your money. Okay, also, well, we've got a new uh, limited edition T-shirt that is gonna be on represent.com coming up very soon. Just look up represent.com/lpotl, uh, and we got an amazing shirt, and it's designed by Ian Clarer, and, and we'll, I think it's really fucking cool. Yeah, we'll blast that out at some point here, right? Yeah, yeah we'll her. blast it out. We'll blast it out on our Twitter L- at lp on the left. There it is. All right, everyone, hail yourselves. Talk to you soon. Goodbye. Hail me. Hail Satan. Hail Gain. Magustalations. Magustalations. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay, leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw. I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 